Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Why don't you uh, open your Bibles up this morning to Psalm 130. Uh, The title of this morning's message is Three Things to be Thankful for. Obviously, as we uh, exit the Thanksgiving season and around the quarter ahead straight into Christmas, I wanted to take a moment to, uh, excuse me, to focus on Thanksgiving one last time. Uh, I think sometimes we are, we're not thankful, and you might agree in your own life, you're not thankful for something until it's gone, right? Until you realize that it's, it's not there anymore, and you wish you could have it back. Uh, sometimes it even takes us to be in a situation of despair, uh, to realize what we have, right? We can take for granted uh, the things that we have in our life, the things that become uh, normal. And it, and it isn't until it's taken away again that we see that, man, we really did not appreciate what we had. And there's no doubt many of us are feeling that way now throughout this year when some of our, you know, simple things like going out to dinner or spending time with family or even coming to church um, can be taken away. I don't know what's on here. Uh, Are taken away and then we realize again, that oh man, I wish I could have that back. And like I said, sometimes it takes to be in in a disparaging situation. Um... Well, what we have before us in Psalm 130 is exactly that, is someone who in the depths of despair cries out to the Lord for help. And in that prayer, they come to realize that their comfort comes from who God is. And and in this way, this morning as we look through this, we're going to find three things. So for those of you that take notes, you're just going to take three bullet points this morning. Three things... um, that we can be thankful for, uh, because we too can take comfort in these three essential and eternal truths about God, and then we will also see three ways, or really four ways, we should respond to these eternal truths. And again, that's going to be found in Psalm 130. So turn there with me, and before we actually get into it, let's pray one more time and ask God to speak to us through this psalm. Uh, Lord God, again, we're so thankful for this morning that we could come together as a church and gather around your word, gather around the people of God and worship in one voice to the great God of this universe. And so we thank you for that privilege. And even as I said in the opening, may we never take that for granted, knowing full well that someday it may be taken away from us and may it not be this day, Lord God. And until that day comes, we will continually to worship you openly in public together. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, through what the psalmist wrote so many years ago. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so let's get to it. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to read through the entire psalm. There's only eight verses. And then come back and and walk us through it. Again, we're going to see the three things to be thankful for. So here's what the psalmist wrote. He says, Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. 
Lord, hear my voice. Let thy ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning, indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities." And as I said, this psalmist, as he wrote this, seems to be in great despair. For in the very beginning, he's crying out in his, in his prayer, asking for the Lord's help. Look at verse 1 again. It says, out of the depths. Now, we could take this one of two ways, and, and either one of them doesn't really matter as far as to the understanding of the psalm. It can mean like out of his heart, the depths of his heart. So with, with all sincerity, he's crying out to God. And doesn't this happen to us and to all people probably when they're in a tough situation that now their prayers become more fervent and out of the depths of their souls with their entire being, they pour into God their request. And we could take it that way. And it can also just mean that, hey, I'm in a, and it could be both actually, I'm in, I'm in a tough spot, God. I'm at the depths of pain, the depths of suffering, the depths of my trial. I'm at the end of myself. And so this is the sense that we see of the psalmist. And again, it can mean both of those. Out of his heart, he's praying because he's in a bad situation. And again, sometimes we forget the power of praying to God and how he can bring us comfort as we cry out to him. And so that's what the psalmist is going to find out as he goes through this. So again, he's crying out in prayer, asking for the Lord's help, right? He even says, hear my voice, Lord, right? Even sometimes when we pray, you might think, Lord, really, please hear me. Like as if he doesn't hear you when you pray at other times, no matter where you are in your life, the Lord hears your prayer. But again, the psalmist is just really, please, Lord, hear my prayer. He's really saying underneath this, Lord, answer my prayer, right? Don't just hear it, answer it. Come and, come and help me, Lord. I'm in, a, I'm in a bad place, right? He continues on and says, let thine ears be attentive or attentive. Again, he wants God to hear what he's saying. He wants God to, to come and help him, to answer him in the affirmative of whatever he's going to request. Right? He adds as, as his prayer to the voice of my supplication. And that word supplication, uh, if you looked it up in a, in a dictionary of biblical words, means humbly begging or pleading with God, appealing to the Lord. And again, this word intensifies the sense of despair the psalmist is in. He's begging God to hear him, right? It's not just, Lord, we thank you for today. Amen. It's like he's really from the depths of his heart from the depths of the situation that he finds himself in, he's crying out to God. He's pleading to God. He wants the Lord to answer his prayer. And, and so that is the reality that we see the psalmist in. This is what's going on. Whatever it is, it's something big. You get a sense of that. 
And then in verse 3, he comes to understand a reality of who he's speaking to. Right? Look at what he says. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Here, in a sense, he humbly recognizes that if the Lord were to execute justice, that the Lord would be well within his right to leave him in his current state. Meaning, God has no obligation to answer this prayer the way this psalmist wants it. Because he recognizes that, you know what, if God were to weigh out my sins against my righteousness, so to speak, he says, I couldn't stand. As a matter of fact, who could stand before the Lord? Who could stand before it and say, Lord, I'm your child. That means you have to answer my prayer. Or Lord, I went to church today. I went to worship night in the evening. That means my prayer is guaranteed to be answered. This is kind of what he's saying. He's like, who could stand before God if God were to note my sins against him, my offenses? Nobody could stand. In the sense, I have really no right to ask God for anything, whatever it may be that he's in. But then he also realizes something powerful in the very next verse. He says, but, look at verse 4. So even though this is the reality about God, that if God were to make a record of our sins, none of us can stand against him or stand before him. That's That's a definite eternal truth. But look at what he says. But there is forgiveness with thee. There is forgiveness with thee. And that's going to be the first point this morning that we can be thankful for is that God forgives us. Despite who we are, despite our sins against Him, uh, if we are His and we humbly ask for forgiveness, God will forgive us. And, and the prophets, I want to take one step back because I, I wanted to note this thing about how we deserve nothing before God, or if we were to stand before God, we would be guilty. The prophets over and over again recognize this truth about God's holiness. As a matter of fact, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, and just to tell you this morning, we're going to have a lot of cross-references, so just write them down. You may not have time to go through them, uh, just because they really underscore the points that I'm making. In Malachi 3.2, Malachi writes in speaking to the nation of Israel, but who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. The point being here, again, He's agreeing with the psalmist that, you know what? We can't stand before God. None of us could stand before God and claim our, in our own righteousness and claim to receive something from God. Again, and this is what the psalmist said in verse 3, but he realizes, even though that is true, God forgives him. And this just isn't for the Old Testament, right? As we look at, well, you're quoting Psalms, and you're quoting Malachi, and he was speaking to Israel. Note this church that Paul, in the book of Romans, and you could turn there with me because this is a longer section, Romans chapter 3, Verse 10 through 20, Paul makes an argument against all humans, against all humanity, as better, is saying it better than humans, all humanity. In Romans chapter 3, look at verse 10 and note as Paul does this, if you have your Bible, it's in all caps, 
this section, most of it, 10 through 20, it's because Paul is quoting the Old Testament and applying it to New Testament saints who you and I are a part of. So in Psalm, excuse me, Romans chapter 3, look at verse 10, he says this, as it is written, so he's quoting an Old Testament prophet and the context is he's quoting all Greeks and Jews, so all of humanity, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. And bonus points for all of you that go, hey, that was from Isaiah that we just went through. So, carry on. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is none, even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the paths of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know, and Paul gives his interpretation of this, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be accountable to God. Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Again, this all underscores the psalmist's point that if we cannot stand before God in our own good works, justified, expecting for Him to do something for us. And then he reiterates again in verse 4 of Psalm 30, but there is forgiveness with thee. And that should make us very thankful because we all know in our own strength and who we are, we are no uh, we're not the greatest people standing before God and living up to God's standard. But praise God and thank the Lord that He forgives us. Again, God doesn't hold us accountable for our sins against Him because, again, not because we're good or we've done something so great. No, because we trusted in His judgments of what He has done. And I want to give you a few more cross-references that describe the forgiveness of God in line with the context of our current text. And again, we're going to go through, I think, two or three here. And, and honestly, the Scripture says, it's a, says it a lot better than I do. My wife, Mindy, has a, a little devotional book. I think it's called Daily Light. Is that what it's called? It's Daily Light. Uh, and it's just, I haven't read it that often, so I'll probably mess it up, but it's a, each day has a scripture verse, just one scripture verse, and then under that are a bunch of cross-references or verses that kind of uh, speak to that one verse, and it kind of gives you an understanding in the full counsel of God of the verse and what it's saying. And so all that to say is sometimes, or actually all the time, reading God's word is better than listening to a pastor's interpretation of the word. So... All that to say is I'm, that's why I'm reading these verses because they really get to the point about God's forgiveness because, again, sometimes we're like, yeah, we know God forgives us, but do you know what that means and how much God forgives you? It was Jesus in a parable that said, you know what, if you don't forgive people, I'm not going to forgive you. Like, do you know how much I forgave you that you're going to hold a grudge against somebody in your own life? 
So look at what God says in Isaiah 43, verse 23, about forgiveness. He says, even, he says, I, even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. How contrary is that to us who we hold grudges against people because they've done something to us. They've hurt us. And God is saying, I, even I, I wipe them out. And then in Micah chapter 7, verse 18, he says this, Who is a God like you? This is a prophet speaking about God. Who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. And so these are Old Testament prophets agreeing with the psalmist of how much God forgives us. And then in the New Testament, John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only does God forgive us, he wipes them out from his memory, if that's even possible. Or how that is possible, I don't know, if God knows all things, but Scripture clearly says it. And not only does he forgive us, but he cleanses us. And like scrubs us up and makes us clean as if we've never sinned against him. And so that's why the psalmist says, I know who I am as I stand before God, but God is a forgiving God. And because of that, the psalmist in his psalm, and we're going to touch on these in our applicational points later, in verses 4 through 7, the psalmist responds to the Lord by fearing the Lord or following after the Lord because who He is, that's in verses, verse 4. And then in verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 130, he waits on the Lord because of who God is. And then in verses 4 and 7, he talks about hoping on the Lord. And like I said, we're going to use those as application points in a moment and expand upon what that means. But that's the psalmist's response because God is a forgiving God. But it doesn't end there. That's just number one, one thing to be thankful for. Again, I hope you understand the magnitude of God's forgiveness towards you if you trust in Him. Secondly, in verse 7 of Psalm 130, he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord there, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. And that's going to be the second point this morning, that God is merciful towards us. Some of your Bibles, depending on what you have, may have a different word there. Some have loving kindness, like the NASB does. If you're reading the NIV, it says unfailing love. If you're re reading the ESV, it says enduring love. And if you're reading the King James Version, it will say mercy. The root word there for that word is kindness. And so all these translations are trying to give you the meaning of what God's kindness means. And I think the best description of that is God's mercy. God's kindness is expressed, although all these words do well. They do, God's kindness is expressed in His unending love for His people in His love for those who are unworthy of love, in His merciful relenting of His judgment on sinful people, 
and in his faithfulness to his covenants. This is God is, so God doesn't just forgive us, he's merciful towards us, meaning we deserve to be punished. But God relents because of his unfailing love, because of his enduring love, his loving kindness, and ultimately I think his mercy decides to relent from judging us. There are a couple of cross-references I want to give you in Psalm 103, and we're going to look at two of them this morning. Psalm 103, you can follow along or flip there real fast, depending on how quick you are. But they highlight and reiterate this point of God's loving kindness. Psalm 103, verse 10 through 13 says this, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, so similar to what's being said here, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him as far as the east is from the west. Again, God's mercy, it is mercy. He's separated us from our sins. He doesn't judge us. He doesn't reward us for what we've done against Him, which would be judgment, right? He's merciful. It dropped down to verse 17 of Psalm 103. He says this, But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. Again, stressing God's mercy and how it extends to all people forever, from everlasting to everlasting, right? To your children's children, if they fear the Lord. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But notice in both of those verses, it talks about those who fear Him. So many times our culture, especially in the West, is so flippant that God loves everybody and everybody is God's child. No matter what they do, no matter how they live, no matter what they believe, and that's clearly not true in Scripture. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments. So again, three things to be thankful for before we get to the third one, that God is God forgives us, that God is merciful towards us. And number three, which is found in verse 7 of Psalm 130, you can go back, turn back there if you like, is that God redeems us. So not only does God forgive us, is God merciful towards us, but as the psalm says in verse 7 of 130, at the very end, he says, and with him is abundant redemption. There's a lot of redemption from God. Redemption, I like this definition I found. It says, so here's the definition of redemption. To achieve the transfer of ownership from one to another. Oh, did that go out? Oh, here we go. Okay, let's try this again. To achieve the transfer of ownership from one to another through the payment of a price or an equivalent substitute. So it's transfer of ownership, right? Because you've redeemed a ticket, so to speak. That, think of redemption like that. I was thinking of how to describe it. This is not the way God did it, but, you know, there's a, I think of like when you go to a, a I think of a pizza place and the kids play their games and they get tickets 
right, for playing all the games. And then they go to the, to the little counter where there's a bunch of toys, and they take their ticket, and what do they do? They redeem it for a prize, right? They've earned it. They've, they've got all these tickets. They have enough, and they buy it. And now it chains ownership from the pizza place to the child. Or if you're an adult and you're like, I want that too, then to you. Whoever redeems a ticket, in that sense, God has redeemed us, right? He's given his son in exchange for us. His son paid the price for us, and we are now redeemed. So God has transferred us, and it made me think of that worship song, from death to life, from right to wrong, or from wrong to right, sorry, (laughs) and from dark to light. He has redeemed us, and there's really, I want to point out three different ways that God has redeemed us this morning. The first one being, He's redeemed us to be His children. I mentioned earlier that, you know, everyone likes to say that we're all God's children. Well, we're all God's creation, but only some of us in this world are redeemed. And God has redeemed the nation Israel here in Isaiah but he's also redeemed each and every one of us. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's read verse, uh, verses 17 through 20 that talks about this redemption to the New Testament church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 through 20, says this, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee... Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And this is the point I want to stress. And do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is the redemption of God. You're not your own. God now, if you are a child of God, God now owns you in respect. You have committed your life to Him. You said, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to glorify you with all that I am. You have been redeemed by God and you are no longer your own. That's one sense of God's redemption. Another sense is that God has redeemed us from the power of sin and the effects of sin. If you look at Psalm 130, verse 8 again, he gives you the context of his redemption. He says, And he will redeem all Israel from all his iniquities. So not only does God redeem us to be his children, but he redeems us from our sins and the effects of sin. That's what Colossians Chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 tells us, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, there's this redemption, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, And then in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, he says, who gave himself for us to redeem us, right? There's that redemption again. To redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. So he's redeemed us 
not only to be his children, but he's redeemed us from the sinful nature that we once had and the effects of that sin. We no longer are slaves to sin, but slaves to Christ. And find a final point on redemption. So we have the redemption to be God's children, right? We are now his possession. And there's this redemption from sin and the effects of sin. And finally, there's a future redemption to come from eternal death. Romans 8 verse 23 says this, And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So even though we are redeemed now as God's children, there's a more fuller redemption to come in the future that we await. And that's what he's saying here in the text, the, the redemption of our body. We all wait. We, we moan, our body moans probably, and we moan too of, of it hurting, right? And things don't operate correctly. And he's saying that one day this is going to be redeemed. Our own body is going to be redeemed. And as you know from 1 Corinthians, we're going to have a transformed and new body. But that's not going to fall apart, right? We can see with both eyes here, with both ears, operate everything that we have, right? Some of us take a little bit longer to get up in the morning to recover from, you know, falling down. I know when I run around with the soccer team that I'm coaching, I'm like, I play goalie and I'm hurting. And those kids are like running all over the place. And maybe 10 years ago, it wasn't like that. And in 10 years, you guys are saying, it's going to be worse, Robert. So get ready for that. And I think the expression of this redemption is fully realized. And I want to read it to you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 13 through 18. Because this is the, the total consummation of our redemption. And again, Paul's giving it to the church to encourage them. Something to be thankful for. <clears throat> so 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Actually, let's start, in, yeah, let's start in verse 13. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Right? That's a euphemism for dead, those who have died. That you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you the word of the, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the total redemption. This is what's going to happen at the Lord's second coming. This is when our bodies will be fully redeemed. So again, the three things that the psalmist points out that I believe we should thank the Lord for, again, real quickly, for those of you taking notes, three points here. We, need to thank, we can thank the Lord that He forgives us. We can thank God that He is merciful towards us. And we can thank God that He redeems us. 
How do we express our thanks to God? Well, number one is found in verse 4, is that we fear God. Right? He says, verse 4, But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be, mayest be feared. Fear is not the fear and sense of being scared or frightened or afraid of God, but it's a reverence. It's, it's a reverence for His position of being. You're being in awe of God's power and of God's majesty. It's a reverent fear. I think it's best described as a moral revering. You revere God for who He is. And it's often uh, uh, compared to righteous living in the Old Testament. One writer says it this way. He says, the the God-fearer will implement his fear in practical righteousness of piety. Meaning he lives out his fear. He doesn't cower in the core and say, I'm afraid of God. No, he fears God by living for God. And let me give you two verses that stress this point. The first one being in Deuteronomy chapter 10. You'll notice that whenever the the word fear is mentioned, it's followed by some practical ways to implement that fear. So let me give you the first example. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12, he says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? What does God want from you as his children? And he says, but to fear the Lord your God. And then he expands on that. What does that mean to fear the Lord your God? To walk in his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I think that's the best way of describing what does it mean to fear God? To walk in all his ways, to love him and to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. 1 Peter 1.17 says, If you address as the Father the one who partially judges according to each one's work, so he's saying, if you're going to call God your Father, meaning you're his child, then how are you to live? Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. So a characteristic of the child of God is a fear of God, meaning we reverently live for God because we understand how powerful and majestic He is, and we order our lives accordingly. We fear the Lord God. That's why, again, in the New Testament, there's people called the God-fearers, meaning they were, these were converts to, uh, uh, to follow God. That's one way of describing them, I should say. So how do we express our thanks to God? We fear God. We live for God. Those people that say they, they love God, but they don't walk after Him, you have to wonder, do they really fear God? If, do they really know who God is and all that He's done for them? And why don't they live for Him? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to actually do it. Number two, how do we express our thanks for God? We wait for God. That's what it says in verse 5. The psalmist in 130, he says this a few times. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And then in verse 6, My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed more than the watchman for the morning. And that word wait, he's not talking about, I just sit around waiting for God to do something, to tell me to do something. That word wait is talking about a confident, patient expectation to follow Him. Waiting is an action done by the believer. 
right? We wait by living out our lives in faith and trust in God. We, again, we don't literally sit around. I have a, a Hebrew translation of the Old Testament, and they use the word that they look. They look for the Lord. He says, my, I look for the Lord. My soul looks, and my soul looks for the Lord more than the watchman in the morning. It's an intent, like he's looking after the Lord. He's waiting for the Lord, so to speak, to come. He's not just sitting there not paying attention. <clears throat> right? So again, we don't literally sit and wait for God. That's not what he's talking about. It's a confident, patient expectation for God following after the Lord. Let me give you one verse that talks about this. Isaiah 26, verse 8. It says, Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Your name, even your memory, is the desire of our souls. Look at that again. While following the way of your judgments, O Lord. So he's doing something. He says, while following your judgments, O Lord, we waited for you eagerly. So again, waiting for the Lord is action. They're doing something. They're following after the Lord. There's this expectation that God is going to do something. So again, how do we express our thanks to, the, to God? We fear God. We wait for God. And thirdly, this is also found in verse 7 of Psalm 130. We hope in God. In verse 7, he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. And then back in verse 5, he says, In his words, do I hope. And again, hope isn't, man, I hope this happens. Like you're crossing your fingers and that maybe it happens. The biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation. It's a trust. So you could actually say, I trust in the Lord. We trust and believe that He will do what He says. That's why in verse 5, He says, In His word do I hope, or do I trust. I have this confident expectation that God is going to do all that He says He is going to do. A good verse for this is Hebrews 6.19. He's speaking of this hope of what Christ has done. This hope we have as an anchor of our soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. This hope is an anchor. It grounds you. It doesn't cause you to float around because you're just hoping that it happens. No, it's a trust, like an anchor that holds you still. So again, how do we express our thanks to God? We fear God, we wait for God, and we hope in God. And then one last point is that we encourage others to hope in God as well. If we have this great hope, like the psalmist in verse 7 of 130, he's talking about himself, and now he addresses the entire nation. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Why? For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with Him is abundant redemption. Things that we've talked about already. Because all these things are true, and God is who He is, and God will do what He says He will do, and this psalmist believes it, he wants to share that truth and that hope with the rest of his people. And that's why he says, O, Lord, o Israel, hope in the Lord. And so for our application is we too should encourage others to hope in the Lord. Why? For all the things that we talked about this morning. Right? Hope in God because He has forgiven you. 
Hope in God because He is merciful. And hope in God because of His abundant redemption, not only for, your, for you now, but also in the future. How many of our friends and family need that hope? They don't have that anchor for their soul. And so they're searching for all types of other things in their lives. Or maybe you here this morning are in the same boat, so to speak, without that anchor, right? Or you're trying to throw your anchor in all these places and, and it's hitting nothing. We all need to come to that realization that nothing in this world is sure and can satisfy us until we set our anchor on the rock of Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that each and every one of you will find that. Those of you who are listening will find that. And we as a church will encourage others to find that hope. Let's pray. Lord God, Thank you for your word, and thank you specifically this morning that we, or really that you are a forgiving God, that you forgive each and every one of us of our sins if we confess them to you and fear you. We thank you, Lord God, that you are merciful, that you relent in passing judgment on us because we have trusted in you. And we thank you, Lord God, this morning for your redemption. That you have paid the price for us. That your son, Jesus Christ, paid the price for us on that cross and has redeemed those who trust in him. And not only that, you've redeemed us from the power of sin and the effects of sin. And then one day, Lord God, you will fully consummate that redemption by coming back and bringing your kingdom with you, and we will forever see you and live with you. And we look forward to that day, Lord God, and until we do that, we pray for your strength and your power to live this life with fear and trembling. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.